0: Here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing on this beautiful Tuesday morning. I have a great show for you. Well, I always have great shows for you, but I really have one that um, really resonates with me. I think it's super important for anyone who is a parent or planning to be a parent um, because the information that our guest today, Julie Phillips-Hatch, wrote in her book is actually exactly how what I believe. So, of course, um, this is going to be a great conversation. But um, most parents have followed one of these paths in parenting their children. They've either imposed their vision or ego on the child. They've tried so hard to ease their child's path that the child is basically helpless. They've inflicted the, their own fears on the child, To so the child either rebels or multiplies the fears, corrects or criticizes the child to fulfill their own needs. Julie says there's another way, and that is to release your own needs and expectations and guide your child to follow his or her own path based on the child's inner spirit, intuition, and natural inclination in her half Manifesto and Half Practical Guidebook, A Parenting Revolution for Higher Evolution, Raising Resilient, Responsible, Compassionate Kids. From the inside out, Julie makes the case that children parented from this standout are far better capable of becoming happy, stable, fully self-realized and empathetic adults who contribute to a better and high Higher, more highly, highly evolved world, whatever path they may follow. Um, just um, Julie knows kids. She's a mother of three, pediatric nurse practitioner, pediatric acupuncturist, a parenting coach, and host of the Moms on Mission podcast. She has devoted her life to some aspect of healing and growing
1: capable children. Good morning, Julie, and welcome. Good morning, Randy. Thank you very much for the welcome, and um, thanks. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. So the book
0: is called A Parenting Revolution for Higher Evolution. Has this evolution begun, or is this something that you hope to inspire?
1: Um, I think that it has begun, um, but it has a long way to go, and so I hope to continue the inspiration. I think that... um, in general, the world, or at least maybe, well, yeah, a lot of the world is evolving. I think that might be optimistic, but I'd like to believe that it's true, that people are coming to a higher consciousness and evolving. But um, that's the adults. And the children who, um, I'd like to see them come along with the evolution too, because being young and fresh in this world, it's much easier to help them along with evolving and um sort of growing into a higher level of consciousness. So I guess, um, no, I'm not the first and the first inspirational person to to do this, but I think that working with kids in this way is a little bit new.
0: I think so too, but I think it's super important. I really think that education should be different with kids. The whole approach Mm. needs to change. But you say um, the next step in our evolution is to shift toward a recognition of and focus on our child's inner spirit, their essence, where a life of confidence, inner security, compassion, and personal success begins. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Um, I believe that um, people that grow up into being emotionally healthy people or how we all want to grow into is, and what I would like to see happen with kids is that help kids to have a a solid sense of themselves. And S, small S, capital S, however you want to put it, but a, small, a, solid, a solid feeling of themselves, which then lends to confidence and resilience and um, responsibility and all the good things that we want. But it needs to start from within them and it starts really with us, the parents, to help foster this and help them find this inner jewel that they have within them, which is their own, um, their own spirit, their own essence, so that rather than turning to outside forces for um, feeling valuable, for being um, told that they're worth something, rather than the outside forces for them always reaching outside to make themselves feel good, if they can get the feel good side, feel good feeling from inside, that's what will I think make a much stronger person in the long run.
0: I totally agree with you. I mean, internal validation is so Mm -hmm. important, and um, self love is so important, and we we should we should be nurturing that in our children. Why do parents Why do parents impose themselves Hmm. and and their their dysfunction or lack of healing or whatever
1: on children? How does that happen? Or why does that happen? I think that part of the reason is that um, they're healing old wounds, whatever they didn't receive as a child and now, you know, has caused a deep wound in them, consciously or unconsciously, they are trying to fix that. So if, um, I don't know, an example, if somebody wasn't ever allowed to... Uh, try out in the school play, then the parents may push the child to be an actor or an actress. I don't know. That's Mm. Okay. I I get it. (laughs) Yeah, they're trying to fill a hole within themselves. What could be it? And I also think that sometimes um, parents are either narrow-minded or really full of ego, and they think that their way is the best way and the only way, and the child must do it that way. Mm. You're
0: right. You're absolutely right. So what we're looking at here is the essence of who this child is, the way they came into this world, their unique um, really spirit, their unique spirit, mm-hmm. because every child has it. They're not all the same, mm-hmm. and And it's really important to recognize that in children, um, even when we may not like certain aspects of that,
1: right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Got to take the good <laughs> with the bad, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's judgmental. I don't even like to use good and bad in describing anything about a kid. But yes, you're right. We um, it, it's all, it's all a, a part of them, and worthy of love and celebration and nourishing and honoring, and because it is what it is, and you know, helping it to come forth into the world in a, in a really nice way. Yeah, I mean, I work with,
0: my, my work is focused on narcissistic abuse, and mm. many, most, I would have to say, of the people who I coach have struggled from childhood emotional abuse, and it affects mm. them deeply. It is so hard to undo what's mm. programmed into us as children.
1: Oh, my gosh, yeah.
0: You know, yeah. Hmm.
1: So the, that's part of the beauty of working with kids is to hope to prevent from getting, them getting to the point where they have to undo all of what's done because life, interactions with people and life experiences put, their, put its layers on us, which it just does. Um, to have to peel apart the painful and damaging and harmful layers is so much more work than just not or trying not to let them form in the first place. So it's kind of preventative kind of Raising of kids, a preventative medicine or a preventative help um, by by honoring their inner their inner spirit, and I can talk a little bit more about I, what I mean by inner spirit if you would like. Or yeah, I would like, yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, so I call it well in the book I refer to inner spirit, inner essence, their soul, or their true nature. And the true nature term comes from. My background in acupuncture and Chinese medicine, and true nature is refers to, um, and well, like we're talking about, their inner spirit is who they are at the core, what drives them and enlivens them, it's what makes them who they are. If anybody has more than one child, you know that no two children are alike at all, not even twins. Um, And so they all have their own true nature. And their true nature, I also refer to as kind of their GPS or their roadmap for their life because it's it's who they are and it's a reflection of of them and where their path really is meant to take them. And um, going along, going back to acupuncture and Chinese medicine, their true, you know, f- figure out a child's true nature by figuring out what their element types are. And there are five element types in Chinese medicine, which are wood, fire, earth, metal, and water. And there's a questionnaire you can take um, or a conversation with me where you figure out what your child's true nature is, and it tells you so much about the child, about what their strengths are, what they love to do, again, what enlivens them, the, the direction that they are going to be happiest taking, and it also tells you what their challenges are and their stressors and what does not work for them in life or what makes them have a difficult day. So if really, really, if you can figure out your child's element type, which is their true nature or their inner spirit, um, then you can find out, you can understand your child from a different perspective and, I think, a much deeper perspective. You can understand a whole lot more about them. That sounds really
0: interesting. Um, where would someone go to take that quiz. Do you have it on your website?
1: It's on my website um which is com, and it's at the um back of the book as well. Okay, perfect. Excellent. Okay. okay. So that's
0: very interesting. And I mean, I've never really thought about I, I'm, I've done acupuncture for years and years and years. I don't do it. I've I've gone for it um for years you and years and I and I love Chinese medicine. I, I love all of that. So um, I love the philosophies. I just mm. have never heard it applied to the personality of a child or their <laughs> inner spirit, which is yep. super
1: cool. It makes me really want to know more about
0: this. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: it's It's a different way. Sorry. It's a different way, certainly, of um, you can look at yourself through it also, but certainly your kids and anyone that you're acting with, it just – is um, it's, a, it's not the answer to everything by any means, but it's a good place to start for a fundamental understanding of somebody, especially a child. Children, it's much easier to read, know what their element type is, again, because they don't have all the layers, and it's just easier to be able to fill out the questionnaire and, um, and find out what their element type is. Yep. Wow. Now,
0: if, when we have a particular element type, is that what we're attracted to? So, for instance, um, I'm not attracted to wood, <laughs> uh-huh. um, but I but I am attracted to water. So, yeah. uh, would that speak about what my element type truly is?
1: Um, not necessarily. And there could be two similar element type people, and I know it in my own family growing up, that when they're... They were so similar that they clashed all the time and they went head-to-head head and it was not good. So um, so finding so two element types that are similar are not necessarily going to make a good relationship. Oftentimes opposites do, sort of the yin and yang of Chinese medicine. Um, opposites can sometimes complement and balance each other out. So it's, it's, it's not as easy as figuring out um, what you're attracted to and what you're repelled from. <laughs> Okay, all right. I'm glad I asked that.
0: (laughs) You talk about um, parenting or not focusing primarily on the surface aspects of life, but instead on the more meaningful aspects that come from deep within. What do you mean by the surface
1: aspects of life? The surface aspects that I think is just this world is getting inundated with is um, not to say that that none of it is important. That's not what I'm saying at all. Technology um, is, is taking us away from the deeper part of ourselves. Technology, artificial intelligence, materialism, you know, needing that, those really cool pair of sneakers. And again, I'm speaking primarily about kids, although it applies to adults too. But a lot of materialism and um, oh, I just forgot what I was going to say. Um, so su- superficial stuff that brings temporary, temporary happiness And I don't even know if you can call it happiness. (laughs) Temporary feeling like something is great, and that is contentment. And it does, yeah, contentment. It's nothing more than just a a fleeting, passing, really great feeling, and it's all from superficial, materialistic stuff. Mm. Whereas, and I'm a big proponent. I go into this a little bit in the book. Is time in nature, which is opposite of the materialism and the superficial. And you spend some time in nature which does wonders for kids' behavior. It's been shown to help with ADHD and, you know, ODD, oppositional defiance disorder. Depression is a big thing for depression. So spending time in nature is what takes you deeper into – you just sit in nature. And kids, kids don't have to sit in nature. They can run around in nature and and climb trees and play around, and that's all great because the, the air that's in nature, just nature just offers so much that um, – is really good for us internally, and it has nothing to do with superficiality or materialism. But it's it's um, it, it goes deep within us, and it's really really helpful for kids if they're having behavior, any kind of behavioral problems or not. <laughs> Just anyone to be out there in nature. Children
0: should be outside, and children are not mostly outside or very very yeah, little. No. I mean, I know I spend yep. all day every day outside. Um, so
1: yeah, safe? and yeah. there's a move, There's a sorry. Go ahead. No, <laughs> no. Go ahead. There's a there's a movement to reintroduce what um, you and I, our generation, mostly grew up with, which is free play, where you could run around outside and be home when the when it gets dark or when you, whenever you hear the dinner bell or whenever it is that you're that you allowed to run roam around freely. And these days, um, it may not be quite so safe to roam around freely, but um, it's not. It's not. We, I think, parents sort of make people, kids, afraid of the boogeyman, and they're going to get kidnapped, and all this terrible stuff is going to happen. So they need to overprotect them. But this movement is showing that free play is super, super important, really important. (laughs) In um, well, it builds social skills. For one thing, kids learn through play. But free play, when they're playing with another child or a a group of children out, free play, they build little nuanced, subtle social skills which are super important in life, such as cooperation. They learn to cooperate. And they learn this all on their own because there's no adult there supervising and intervening. They make and enforce their own rules. Um, They learn how to compromise. They resolve conflicts conflicts amongst themselves. Yep, they work out disputes and they learn that there are other viewpoints and other ways of expressing things from from other kids and they learn to accept defeat. And those are just a few of the social skills which we all need in in real life. And they learn this through play, through just free play of being with other kids doing what they want with no parental um, intervention. I'm not saying no parental supervision, sometimes that's necessary, but not always, but no parental intervention because they figure it out themselves and they do a great job at it. <laughs> we just need to give them the opportunity to do that. Yeah, children are so imaginative
0: and mm-hmm. they can create anything out of anything. Um, I, yeah. In my neighborhood, there's, um, there's two bus stops for uh, middle school children and I've counted them out there and there's a total of 50. Um, wow. A lot, a lot of kids. Yeah, a lot of kids. And as I walk by them, nobody is interacting with. Maybe a few people are. They're all on their phones. It's yeah. so sad. Yeah. I remember standing at the bus stop and having such a great time talking to everybody. That's so
1: true. That's a that's a that's another big problem. Is Again, phones are not absolutely necessary, but certainly necessary. They're a part of life and they're going to be for a long time. But they also are doing a lot of harm to our kids, not the phones themselves, but just how they're using it and not interacting with other people. There was a very good article in this month's Atlantic magazine about what social media and um, – Phones are doing to the use of today culture, but also the use of today, and it's a problem. And the place to start is that parents need to model what about their kids. If they're well, the parents probably aren't at the bus stop at that age, but parents are on their phone and answering emails and doing all kinds of stuff as much as kids are, if not more. So, if we want to change kids' behaviors about it, we need to change our own and and practice what we preach if we even preach it at all. <laughs> but it is, I think, it's a big problem. <laughs> and I, I think, think it's
0: a huge thing about it. Yeah. They don't, uh, children don't know how to relate to each other. And they prefer not to because, yeah. you know, human interaction is not a skill that they learn.
1: I because know. Because they do yep. it
0: all electronically. It's, um, and that's artificial because the person mm-hmm. on the other end can say or be anything. And then, oh yeah. T- then TikTok came in. And every Mm -hmm. child wants to make a TikTok video, and they want to Mm -hmm. show who they are. So it's a very Mm -hmm. self-focused world that
1: our children Mm -hmm. are in. Yeah, it is. It's true. (laughs) So that's why, partly, that's a lot of why I wrote this book, hoping to show people the other side of what could otherwise be, not instead of having your phones or being on social media, but how to how to be on social media and on your phone consciously really mindfully knowing what you're doing and and doing it because you choose to or want to for a particular reason I guess I, I'm not not being clear on that but um it's there technology and phones are here to stay and we need to live with them responsibly and not let them take over our lives which we kind of are
0: mhm and video games and all those things yeah yeah so um you talk about um, teaching children in school. You say it, it isn't even taught in medical school. But um, if we're lucky, if we're lucky, perhaps a latent parent or mentor will help us tune into our soul. But nowhere in our everyday lives are we taught and encouraged to take care of our souls to the same degree we are taught yeah. to take care of our bodies. I like that.
1: That's amazing. An amazing statement. Yeah, that, um, I do, too, sort of break it down into our soul is what inhabits our physical body. and our physical body, we want to keep it healthy so that our soul can stay with us. Um, but but so much emphasis is put on our physical body. For our health, certainly that's understandable. But the way that we look and, um, yeah, the way that we appear outwardly, And we take really good care of that, and we don't always take care of our soul. Listen to the soul and, and, um, like I say, to nourish it and honor it and follow our soul, our intuition, the inner stuff. And that's what makes us human. And as we get into more technologically dominant world and artificial intelligence and things are becoming more and more unhuman, it's all the more important reason to... Stay in touch with our humanness, what makes us human beings, um, which is which is more than just the outward body. It's, the, it's us on the inside. That's our human beingness. So I'm all for promoting our human beingness in this world of high technology. I'm right there with you. <laughs>
0: I mean, you know, my children... Um, they grew up with phones, but not like now. They didn't have these iPhones. I mean, my daughter had a brick. It was, her phone was like a brick. (laughs) Um, and it wasn't (laughs) something she wanted to carry everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so, you know, my kids grew up to be creative and expressive and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. I think children need to be given opportunities to express their talents and their interests. Um, to be able to explore those things as well. Because those are, yeah. you know, when you're uh, aligned with um, a talent or an interest that makes you happy, it sends you into kind of a spiritual realm of, you know, you kind of go somewhere else, takes you away. And I know as a child, music was, music and art did that for me. Um mm-hmm. You know, living in a home that was angry all the time, I used to go in my room, play guitar, and sing. And Uh that took me away. away. It just took me away from all of it. So that's important.
1: Yeah. And they just need to be given the opportunity to to explore what, what floats their boat, what gets them into the zone, as I might call it also. It's just that where everything just is the bad world or the world that you don't want to be part of at the moment just goes away, and you're in your own. In your own world, in your own element, doing what feels really, really good to you, whatever it may be. And um, it could be creative, it could be athletic, it could be cerebral, (laughs) Um, it could be any number of things. But the the point is is that whatever you enjoy or whatever the child enjoys, it's nice to have them give them the opportunity to explore it and go go further with it. And it's often hard for young kids to really know what they want to do. So more opportunities to try a variety of things is um, is a gift to them. Expose them to all different kinds of things, and eventually they'll find what what really does poke their boat. <laughs> it's so
0: true. And I think if you allow children to be who they are as children, they don't really lose that spark of, um, of imagination and create yeah. creativeness. They don't lose that. Yeah. It's not taken out of them. Um, cause I know my kids, no. uh, 30 and 37 are still super imaginative, super creative in the way that they do things, super interested in a lot of topics. I mean, it's, it makes such a difference.
1: Um, Yeah, it does. Imagination, no, it certainly does not not go away. It does get, I think, can get buried and hidden. And a little bit about um, schools, I think, these days, or in general, actually it's been the same school system for decades. is that they, they are, they're squelching the imagination and opportunity for creativity more and more in an effort to get kids to pass the test and pass standardized tests and teach them um, the facts and the figures. And the pressure for them to do that and excel and get the good grades means that they're studying these facts and figures. Not, again, not that that's wrong. But to the exclusion, almost, of um, having an opportunity to be creative or musical or even athletic. Although athletic, that's still pretty important in schools, but less so the music and the art and the um, the more creative sides of sides of an education. Right. Exactly. Um, I'm I'm
0: looking at my bookshelf because I'm trying to remember who my guest was years ago that I had on. But she was saying something very similar. And she was saying that um, all the ADHD and the um, autism and all those kind of things, she said that there's really nothing wrong with the children. It's just that they're different. They're of a different sort of a different evolution, really.
1: Yep, and yep. that
0: we need to be able to just accept them the way they are and not try to force them into the mold that
1: uh, society
0: wants us to force. And the schools don't allow for that. A teacher doesn't have the yeah. time to focus on every kid. And you're right, they teach to the test. Yeah.
1: And I don't know what the answer is to that, by, not by any means, and I've done talks with teachers about this, these element types, and how it can help parents to um, connect better with their kids or focus in on their kids. And they say, "Yeah, but I've got a classroom full of all different element types, and that it does—it's hard in, in classrooms because you do have all different kinds with all different needs. And so that is um, this whole element type and, and uh, inner spirit and all that is not does not always apply in school because. Practically speaking, it's, it's really not quite possible. But I'm talking with parents and just individual families, and it's very, very possible to do, um, to see your child in their unique way. And whether they're, yeah, ADHD or autistic or whatever it may be, like you say, that's them. And there's a quote from... Um, a book called The Blessings of a Skinned Knee by, oh, I can't remember her name. Wendy Mogul. Yeah, H. that's it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. her, she has a quote mm-hmm. that if you think of your child as um, a, a seed, a flower seed in a bag of wildflower seeds, you take out this one seed and you don't know what it's going to look like. You don't know what the blooms are going to look like. You don't know if it's going to be tall or short. Or prefer sun or shit, you don't know anything about the flower, but you plant it in good soil, you give it sunshine, you give it water, and you pull the weeds from time to time and this and this little seed turns into a beautiful wildflower. and if you can think of your child as that, you don't know what they're going to turn out to be, and you don't try to force them to be towards force you know to lean towards the sun or force them to be. you just allow them, you nourish them, you encourage them. And they grow into whoever they're going to be. And you love that flower for what it is and who it is. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. School does change
0: children. I mean, before my daughter went to school, Mm. she was able to write with both hands, do mirror images Ah. on paper. She could left hand, right hand. She could do the same thing um, at the same time. Okay. And when she got to school and learned how to write, She lost that ability.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. Did they tell it? Did she have to choose a right hand or a left hand? I mean, did they say you're right handed or you're left handed?
0: Well, my daughter was a very compliant, sweet child. So whatever they told her Mm. to do, she did. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't really know, but all I know is she lost the ability. And um, Yeah. yeah, it's because we're forced to choose a side. Yeah, my son couldn't hold a pencil properly. And the <laughs> teachers were it drove them crazy. They kept trying to make yeah. him hold the pencil. He's 30 years old. He still holds Holds the pen or pencil wrong. That's how he
1: holds it, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, right. Um, and you can't mm-hmm. and you can't say that it's wrong. It's just the way he holds it. It's just not the way the rest of us hold it.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. And yeah. he's very talented. And I,
1: he's very artistic, and he's smart. Yeah, I was going to say about your daughter with a with that with that's pretty much equal size of the brain are equally dominant. I think when you can equally use your right hand and left hand, and that's a <clears throat> I think a unique. Um, kind of a brain. I mean, that's that's potential for all kinds of things. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's, I mean, so meaning both, uh, you know, the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain, the creative and the practical. Mm-hmm. Or um, so she seems like she's got both sides equally strong. Yeah,
0: I think she does. Yeah, she's very strong in math, and um, but she also played piano from a young age. So yeah, she did. She did mm-hmm. use both sides. Uh, what is Wu Wei
1: in Taoism? Uh-huh. <clears throat> Wu Wei is um, just sort of let things <laughs> go with the flow. I guess would be the the way to translate. Just let things be. Let them things be in a natural way, and it will all be okay. And a story that uh, that comes from Taoism, <clears throat> I think I say in my book, as an example, is that there were these um, three men standing over a bridge. A very rough water, very turbulent water. I'm looking out at the ocean right now in front of me. And it's very turbulent mm. and windy and choppy. So, the, the, so they looked down in this off this bridge, and there was a man in the water. And it seemed like he's just fighting for his life. That he, how was he going to survive these waters? Because they're just way too turbulent. No one could survive. So they went down to rescue the man, and the man was calmly climbing out of the water. And he said, how did you survive all that turbulence? And he said, I just went with the flow, went up with the waves, and I went down with the waves. And eventually, I hear I got to the side of the shore, which is kind of a, I guess it's a, not an analogy, but it's a way to go through life is going up with the ups and down with the downs and accept what is, don't fight it. Um, and eventually, things will things will work out okay. Maybe not exactly the way you expect them to or want them to, originally, but things do work out in the way that they're meant to. So it's a very, um, it's not fatalistic, but we'll just let things be naturally and really it's all okay. Because when we start forcing things and we start fighting things, like if we're trying to force our kid to do something, they meet us with resistance. And so then you just meet resistance with resistance or force with resistance and it just usually doesn't go anywhere. And I'm not saying that you just, you know, throw your hands up and say, okay, do whatever you want but have the attitude of going up with the up and down with the down and, and going with the flow because it is as it is. And ultimately it's pretty much okay.
0: (laughs) Right. That's how I believe. Um, And um, a lot of uh, adult children of emotional abuse are, um, they're very tightly wound first of all, but they are control freaks. In a sense, Uh, not controlling, not not controlling other people, but the need to control every aspect of their life and it holding on to that and not flowing with life keeps them stuck. And it feels, it feels miserable to be like that. It Um, does. Yep. mm -hmm. So this is something that I, you know, I teach my clients this let go and just flow with the flow of
1: life it'll take you exactly where you need to go it's hard to let go though it is hard to let go cuz control is something that we have in our control and we can do something about it and if you just let go of control then you're sort of throwing things to whatever may happen and that's a that's a leap of faith i think um mm-hmm. which is not you know which is great if you can if you can make the leap and have a leap of faith but um, a lot of people it's like parents like to control their kids because they don't want things out of control they think that they can make things the way they want them um, through controlling them and it's just it does not work <laughs> how do we teach a child to
0: navigate this educational process because there you know it used to be if you went if you wanted to go to college you went to college um, you picked where you wanted to go. I mean, not Harvard or Yale, but you know, you picked where you wanted to go, and you got, you know, you got to go in, get in. Now there's so much competition in at the high school level to take all this academia to stress themselves out because they need the resume for their application, yeah. and. Yeah. If they don't do that, they don't stand up to the other children and it's really gotten out of control. How do we deal with that? Uh, If you know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll do my best at at giving you my opinion and my answer. Um, One thing, uh, I had a really good guest on my podcast. Uh, His name eludes me right now, but he talks about he, he he talks about getting the title of what he teaches is how to get your child into Harvard. And I, so I reached out to him. I said, not every child should go to Harvard. That's not what every child is meant to do. <laughs> and so he said, absolutely right. So he talks about a child who wants to get into a school to shine in a unique particular way, a unique particular way that is true to that child, not to fake it, but you're right, competing on the SATs and grades and grade point averages, it is a it is an absolute struggle, and kids are facing huge anxiety because of the pressure they feel from, I think they feel it from their parents and their teachers. I don't know if we left them all alone, if they would have self-imposed pressure to get into a college that they want, a college that they want versus a college that is an Ivy League school. Um so I think part of it it starts with us as the parents and the teachers and to not pressure them because it's causing major mental and physical health problems for them, but to help them find what unique college might work for them and what unique ability do they have or a unique essay, something that they want to say, or some unique way to catch the attention of the admissions people of where they are sure that they really want to go to. My son was, my oldest son, who's a um, self-motivator, high achiever, all on his own, no pressure from me at all. That's just the way he was. He was directed from the beginning. He knew what he wanted to do, blah, blah, blah. And so when it came time looking for colleges, he didn't know where he wanted to go. So I found one college out in Oregon, and I said, Dylan, I think this is exactly right for you. And it was it, it accepted really quirky kids, um, it was not. It was a very, very good college. I don't know whether it was competitive or not. But it was very good. Um, quirky kids, highly motivated, self-motivated kids, and it was a perfect fit for him. And so he didn't want to go to Harvard. He didn't want to go to Yale. And this um, smaller school was just the right fit for him. And that's the only one that he applied to, and that's the one that he got into. <laughs> wow. Good, 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 mom. You did a good thing <laughs> for your kid.
0: You did the right kind of research and. That's really good that you were able to direct your son. I have a client um, much, much older, and um, he's an attorney, and he did not have the grades to get into law school at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. There was like no, on paper, there was no way he was going to get in. And when he went for his interview, he said, I come from a home where I have no support. I've had to work for years and years. I have to work well into the night. Studying is very, very hard for me, and I'm doing the best I can. And I need to put myself through school. And they liked him so much Mm. that he got in. So he didn't get in for his grades. He got in for... Um, his honesty about who he was and why he was not excelling. He did eventually excel, um, you know, when he was there, but it was hard
1: before that. Right. And I wonder if in the interview it came across to them that he really wanted to be a lawyer. He was really Mm personally vested in in this, which Mm -hmm. is really what's most important is that to help a child figure out what it is that they really want to do or pursue, which isn't always easy really is not always easy especially in teenagers who are trying to get into college but um yeah honesty and trying to fit the round peg in the round hole and not the other you know not the square peg in the round hole but try to find the right the right fit that's a great story about that lawyer i like that yeah
0: i mean and he's very very successful now and it's just amazing Mm -hmm. to me i mean he came from a really bad childhood really really bad um and he just he just made it, you know. And um, yeah, it is a great yeah. story. I really, I really also, like
1: that. It also makes me think about um, the story that we've heard not too not too long ago in the news about the parent, the very wealthy, well known parents that pay for their kids to get accepted into some mm. top colleges. And that mm. is just so. For so one thing, is telling the child or the young adult that they can't do it on their own. Mom and dad have to do it for them. And as, I think, I assume we don't know the inside stories, but it seems like they're just pushing them into where mom and dad think they should go, and they'll do whatever it takes to do that. And so there are the kid is, And I just don't think that those kids um, benefited from that <laughs> at all. Um, so just because mom and dad think this is where they should go it is not necessarily um, the right thing to do. If you have a, a passion for law school, then good for him, and he got in and he succeeded, but everybody has their own path, everybody has their own strength and um, ways that they should go.
0: You're right. And so as parents, <clears throat> our job is to guide our children,
1: mm. not
0: control them, um, to influence them in ways that Feed their spirit,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but not to force some kind of ideology
1: on them, and yeah. so forth and, and so on. Right, but we. So I think our job is to teach them, um, like please and thank you. <laughs> teach them to look both ways before they cross the street. There are certain fundamentals in life that are that are good to teach kids, um, it, but. As time as they get older, well, even when they actually when they're younger, so I'm talking about a couple of things here. Our influence on them, especially when they're young and still um, in the in the home, even before school, from zero zero to eight, is the most influential time that we have over our kids. It's the most important time of a child's life, too, in terms of development and what goes on in their brains and in their hearts, and the most most important, most formative in every sense of the word. So our influence on them is huge, and they pick up on everything that we do, that we say, our feelings, the energy that we exude. They pick up on that absolutely. So we want to be aware of that, cognizant of the fact that they are picking up on everything. The nonverbal, they're picking up on everything. So our our influence is huge. And then as they get older, um, as they want decide, want to try different things, or have different kinds of friends, or have a different hairstyle big deal, you know, um, unless, the, unless the friends are going to lead them to jail, let them, let them do, guide them, say, hey, you know, this might not be a good idea, and when t- when it's, it comes down to safety or, yeah, if it comes down to safety, I say, then we do take control, and we say yes, we say no, but beyond safety, um, it's hard to see your kids make mistakes and perhaps go take a wrong turn, But it's but it's the best way for them to learn life lessons is to f- try and fail and to t- try, you know, go down one path and find out that that was really the wrong path, turn around and come back. And so if we're there saying, no, 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 don't do this, you can't, I forbid you, that doesn't teach them anything. And, again, it makes a um, resistance between the two even more so. So it's a fine line between guiding and, well, teaching. We always want to teach them. Um, but between guiding and, in a way, we have to sort of let go a little bit and keeping them in line. (laughs) There's a fun time there.
0: Right. I mean, there were things that my my children did in their teenage years that, you know, I wouldn't have recommended. Like, my son had long (laughs) hair. He had bangs down over his eyes. He couldn't see anything, Uh you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah.
0: And you know everybody is saying you need to cut those things, you need to cut those things. I'm like, you know, you do what you want. And eventually, he wanted yeah. a short hair. He wanted a short haircut after that, you know. Yep. So um, so yeah, they do. Yeah. They go
1: through these stages. Yeah, especially in adolescence, definitely they go through stages, and it's you know, it's a great way for them to figure out. Do they want ultimately want long hair or short hair? Do they want to <laughs> um, be doing be this part of the crowd of friends, or do you want this kind of friends? And this, you gotta you gotta test the waters and see what what fits or what
0: feels right. good. And my daughter was you know not very organized as a kid, and her room was messy. And but she was such a great student, such a great kid. I didn't. I mm. I just let I let it be. I just didn't yeah. comment on it. And she's very neat and clean now as an adult. Isn't that
1: funny? Uh That reminds me of another thing that there is, again, in in disciplining kids or when to let go and when to not. Um, I learned this from another um, guy who works with kids. And he has the the above-the-line rule and below-the-line. And rules that are above-the-line are rules that are absolute must, no negotiating, like... um, no drinking and driving, or when they're young, no leaving the yard without getting mom to go, you know, they're just safety, most of them are safety, and they're just absolute are things that are super, super, super important to the parents, whether it's um, just on, just the philosophy or on principle, that, that, so those that are above the line, you have to be willing to enforce every single time that those rules get broken. You, they have to be consistent, no, no, you know, no negotiating, no nothing, Absolute. But then most things are below the line, like having a messy room or not making their bed. Maybe you want them to clean up the room and have a have a made bed, but it's not that big a deal. So there are a lot of things that parents, I think, can let go and say, well, it's really not that big a deal. And they can maybe talk with the kid and say, gosh, you know, it would be nice if you did this, but to punish them for things that just really aren't all that important. So if you can, if you can figure out what in your life is above the line that you just is an absolute must, <laughs> follow and what all the other stuff is that's below the line um it's kind of helpful to to put things you know one way or the other once once above the line or below the line yeah i agree
0: so what about religion because religion is um molding a child a particular way how do you feel about that and you know not to knock anybody who is religious or um you know follows the
1: tenets of their religion how do you feel me personally, um, and I really have never had this conversation with um, parents about, with their, about their kids, I think that um, I think it's nice to bring across the idea that there is a higher source, there is a higher force in our lives, there's a higher power. Um, I think that that's important, and I don't know really necessarily, well, I think that you can go through, the kids can go through a childhood listening to their parents talk about, well, you know, there's a higher source. That's my belief. Mm -hmm. And I used to, I was brought up going to um, church every Sunday, and I hated Sunday school. So sometimes I go into the big church with my parents. But I didn't like that so much. So when I had my kids, and I was working full time, and Sundays would come, I'd say, okay, we're going to go to church. And finally I said, this is ridiculous. This is my one day free, their one day free, and we're spending it in church or even just a couple hours in church. So I started taking them for walks in the woods and I said, this is as much a church as that physical church in town is. And we would just enjoy a walk in the woods or a walk on the beach or somewhere in nature, which I do believe is God's church. Um, So that's that's my own personal opinion. Whether my kids, well, I'm not sure what they believe and I'm not sure how much that matters. I, I don't know. You know, I've never really I only know what I think and what I've taught my kids that uh, that God is everywhere and you don't have to go to a church to recognize him. But that's my right. opinion. <laughs> and my right. feelings about structured religion. <laughs> right. I'm the same.
0: I feel the same way. I do. I feel the same way. But you know, some people find great comfort. I was yes. I was raised I was raised Jewish and it was so rammed down my throat. That now, if if I have to go to a synagogue, I actually have a panic attack while I'm there.
1: I can't in uh, yeah.
0: there. It's it's yeah. been so against my grain. Um, yeah, that has turned
1: me off completely. That's a shame. I see where I live. There are a lot of um, it's strongly Catholic, and there's like you say, for people to be able to get comfort from the the greater force or in in the church or from their priest or their rabbi or whatever, then that's great. If that's what works for them, that's great. I see a lot of Catholics that just, or Reformed Catholics, they call themselves, who just live live with so much guilt on them from the Catholic religion. That just, yeah, that kind of, that really kind of bothers me. So I think that it can be constraining to follow at least the Catholic religion. But I'm not Catholic, Mm -hmm. so I can't speak much more to it.
0: Right. (laughs) Well, anything, I mean, God, to me, God is all loving there's nothing God is not a punishing God God is not you know Mm. we don't have to walk on eggshells to please God (laughs) well right um, you know we don't have to feel guilty about everything we do because God's watching us
1: God is just love that's all (laughs) yeah Yeah. and
0: so yeah we need to change
1: I agree I think we need to change um, that that because still to me, when God with a capital G is he, for one thing, with a capital H, he, it's a man. And the pictures of him on the ceilings of the church are a man. And it's just, <laughs> it's, he's, he's human, he's personified, which makes it difficult, I think, for some people to see him <laughs> as just love and, and goodness and all this great stuff, what I see in culture. Right, exactly. So um, we're
0: talking about your book, A Parenting Revolution for Higher Evolution, and I know, um, I know you wrote this book because you're. This is really something you're passionate about. Um, trying to affect some change. Um, mm-hmm. What are your hopes? What are your hopes for this book? Did I, you know, is there more
1: to that? Um, I just would like people to read it. And again, they need to be people that are not looking for a book on how to help your child go to sleep or how to treat ADHD or how to calm calm, calm the behavior or fix the behavior. That's not so much it, although there's a little bit of that in there. But just to really sort of to begin with, to connect with your child, to connect with them, see who they are, see what their spirit is, their, True nature, and and honor them for that. And it's really not that difficult. It just takes some time, which isn't always so easy, um, to try to well to read the book and understand that just connecting with your child doesn't mean you have to constantly be talking with them one on one. But when you do have one on one time with them, to really connect, put your phone down and look at them in the eye and let them know that they they that you're listening to them, that they matter, that you hear them, that they are important. Um, and from there, help them to grow into the person that they, that their true nature, their GPS tells them is that who they are, rather than trying to mold them or shape them into um, something that we think they should be or we want them to be. So that's basically it. It's just connect. And it's much easier, that, like I say, much easier than trying to force a child to do something that they are not meant to be doing. So if we can just try to... <laughs> Be a little mindful with them and consciously connect, really connect with a child and really try to understand them and hear them for who they are. And the earlier and earlier on that, they, that you do that, the better off everybody is. Now, if you have um,
0: done it a different way and now you're listening to this and you're going, you know what, I really need to switch this up. Is it something that we can just do midstream, just switch it up?
1: Absolutely, it's never too late. The earlier the better, but it's never too late. And I, when I raised my kids, I was not aware of this stuff. I think I innately raised them similar, somewhat similar to this, but not all that much. I was, you know, worked full time. I was alone as a parent much of the time, Um, and I wish that I had known a little bit more of this, and I would have stepped back and spent more time paying attention to to what they really needed. But even now, as adults, I and when they were later adolescents, when I started to get tuned into this stuff, I started to pay attention to them in the way that I'm talking about, and it made a big difference. And it continues to make a big difference because, as you know, once you're a parent, you are always a parent, and you're always somewhat, hopefully, um, connected with your with your children. But so it was never – in adolescence, it's, it's more of a challenge to switch midstream, but it's never too late, and it's always, always worth – of, of consideration of the mindfulness and connecting and really trying to see your child for who they are. Adolescence is kind of harder to see who they are, for who they, you know, who they are deep down, but it's there and you can get to it and you can, and you can parent accordingly to that inner, inner essence.
0: You're right. It is so hard to see it when they're that, at that age. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It, it gets so difficult. But they do come out yeah. of it. And, and ev- everything you put into a child, you will see, good or bad. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's come it's out. true. <laughs> yeah. As we were saying earlier that, uh, you know, you get through the other side and you look back and you say, phew, you know, I made it. And <laughs> they're, they're, they're pretty good kids. And you know, know it when you're going through it. You just. You don't. You don't know. You just do the best that you can, and right. um, you can come through the other side, and you see what what results. <laughs> but if you right. put in it the could. love and the time and the attention to the best of your ability, then probably they're going to turn out to be just great kids. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure.
0: Um, where did you get? Where did you learn this? Was this just something that you absorbed through um, working with children, or uh, being an acupuncturist, or I know you're a, you're a nurse practitioner or... Um,
1: yeah, so I got it largely... My nurse practitioner work was largely in intensive care, so there wasn't a whole lot of this. I loved intensive care. And I care so much about my patients, the kids, and the families. Um, and I did some nurse practitioner work in just regular primary care, so I certainly interacted with kids that are not in intensive care. And I So, yeah, I just got a, a sense about... What kids? I just basic sense is that kids need a whole lot more from us. They count on us. They count on the adults, especially their parents, for everything. And it's up to us to provide what they need—not necessarily what they want, but what they need. Because we've all that they've got. are all they've got in the world to show them and and encourage them and to guide them. That we are the ones to do it. But then, yes, in acupuncture school, so Taoism, which is um, the religion of China, or it was back in the time of Chinese medicine, um, is very similar to Buddhism and very similar to Confucianism. They were all in existence at the same time, and Buddhism has kind of um, been the one that's come out on top, but they're all very similar. And um, so the Buddhism that teaches a lot about compassion and love and gratitude and all these great um, principles... Is also in Taoism, so I picked that up from from traditional Chinese medicine school. So yes, a lot of what I um, what I talk about and write about comes from Chinese medical sc- acupuncture school based on Taoism, closely related to Buddhism. <laughs> okay, I love that philosophy. I I think it's beautiful.
0: <laughs> I think it's absolutely yeah. beautiful. And Buddhism mm-hmm. isn't. I don't think that's a religion. I just think it's a. A way of life
1: yeah a way of life I agree yep Mm
0: -hmm. so okay well (laughs) that hour went fast Julie um yeah so your book a parenting revolution for higher evolution you've talked about you know um, it's for people who are willing to open their minds to a a different way of looking at their children and for those who are this is an excellent
1: book it will guide you beautifully. So, um, yeah, thank you for saying that. People that are willing to open their minds. You don't have to be, you don't have to know anything about Buddhism or Taoism or anything like that. You don't have to, you don't need anything other than exactly what you said an open mind of, oh, there's another way to go about this or to see my kid. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. the only prerequisite.
0: <laughs> right. And if you're having difficulty with your child, maybe there's another way to do this.
1: Um, right.
0: So, but I always tell—I mean—in everything that I write, I always say, "Heal yourself, so you don't pass mm-hmm. this on to your child." Um, mm-hmm. And people say, "Oh, you know, my child doesn't isn't getting any of this." Um, you know, they don't oh. know. They don't know, and I'm like, "Yeah, they are, and um, the legacy is going to continue." So you need to. Fix this in yourself so your children can be better. But um, this is a great, great topic. I've enjoyed talking to you, and I thank you so much for being my guest
1: today. Thank you, Randy. I've enjoyed it immensely. It's been great. (laughs) Good. Okay. Well, take care. Have a great, great day. Thank
0: you. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.